You're listening to What the H, a fantasy hockey podcast. Welcome back to your favorite fantasy hockey podcast, What the H. I'm Eric Ayakiku. And I'm Corey Bastain. On this week's episode, we're going to wrap up round one of the Stanley Cup playoffs. With a record number of game sevens in the books, what went wrong for the losers? And what's next for those who managed to punch their ticket to round number two? We will also review the, the results of the draft lottery, take a look back over the incredible career of a living hockey legend, and of course, another edition of Eric's Thoughts. That's right, Corey. All this and much, much more coming up in episode three of What the H. All right, well, before we begin, Eric, I just want to do a, a shout out to a special guy, a uh, buddy, of, buddy of mine. I know you know him pretty well, too, Mr. Billy Eskis. Uh, it's Eric's dad. You know, he gave me a call last week after listening to our second episode of the podcast, and he couldn't say enough good things about it. And honestly, uh, Billy, when you're listening to this, just know it made my week, man. It totally made my week. I truly appreciate it. And I know you're like already our number one supporter and a number one cheerleader. So uh, pushing us on to do more. And so we just want to give a shout out and thank you very much, Billy. Appreciate the support, brother. Oh man. Well, round one is wrapped up and I think you did pretty well. I mean, we'll get to our brackets, but I was looking at it and uh, yeah, I did horrible. You did well. So from here on out, we're going to listen to your, your suggestions there. <laughs> We both made a couple of wrong choices, but yeah, what a what a crazy first round it was. It was very entertaining. Uh, the amount of game sevens that we had. Oh yeah, I mean, the more game sevens, the better. And to start off with five in the first round, that was just awesome. But let's uh, let's get into it then. Let's get into uh, what happened uh, in the second half of round one. We uh, starting as we have been starting the West. Minnesota Wild versus St. Louis Blues. And uh, you got this pick correct. You picked the Blues, I believe, over the Wild in that one. And I did not. <laughs> so that's one I got wrong for sure. But uh, what a dominant performance last the last three games. 5-2, 5-2, and 5-1. Just completely outmatched the Minnesota Wild there and uh, took them out in six. Yeah, I think uh, there's a couple – you know, strong performance on the blue side. Um, David Perron, I don't think we mentioned, but he really lit it up. And Jordan Bingham didn't even start the series, but by the end, he took over the crease and really shut the door for the blues. So what do you think went wrong for the wild? Because after three games, they're up 2-1. They have a commanding lead, not only in games one, but on the scoreboard. What like what happened? It just totally turned the tables. What do you think happened with that one? Yeah, I think uh, you know at the end of the series they decided to turn to Cam Talbot uh, for the final you know for the game that they lost, and I think there was just uh, they weren't sure of themselves to win it. That's kind of what you know that said to me. Um, I think after game two or three. Um, they could have 
went to Talbot and kind of given him a runway to, to kind of get going again. Um, but they decided to stay with Fleury. Fleury's not a bad goaltender, but um, going in that, you know, do or die matchup game and then switching your goalie, I just feel like it didn't, you know, breed confidence in, in the overall team in their game. And of course they lost that game pretty bad to the blues five one and blues are moving on. Yeah. I think you, I think you said it there with the goalies, the confidence we saw what uh, the Rangers did and we'll get to them more, but you know, Shesterkin getting bounced in two games in a row. They didn't give up. They didn't switch. And I think, uh, like you said, Cam Talbot, maybe not the type of goalie that you want to throw in in a game seven for the first time in the playoffs when your series is on the line. You know, personally, I think I would have stuck with uh, with Flurry on that one. But you never know. I mean, we could be to- having a totally different conversation if Cam-, uh, Cam Talbot came out, you know, had a stellar performance, had a shutout perhaps. They had a game seven and, and you know, we might be having a different conversation. But yeah, I think you're right because you look at the numbers, it's basic. It's fairly even. Um, obviously, the Blues outscored uh, the Wild across the, the whole series. But other than that, everything is pretty, pretty even. Um, the special teams for the Blues definitely had uh, had the advantage on that one. But, yeah, I think it comes down to just, uh, like you said, confidence, chemistry and, and depth. That's one thing about the St. Louis Blues is, you know, you look at the roster and, you okay, you have Tarasenko, that's fantastic. But past him, there's no, like, you know, crazy standout players. But they are just one solid crew. And I think you're talking about that And when we were doing our predictions for round one. They are just one solid group of players and athletes who know how to win and know how to stick together and to stick to the game plan. And it worked, obviously, as we see it, it worked for them. So then we have uh, Calgary, Dallas. Now, this was one of the game sevens that we saw. And what stood out to you in that in that round there, Eric? One name, Jake Ottinger. Like, what, uh, what a performance by him. He almost stole the series. They, uh, I think... They really had no business being in game seven. You look at all the different metrics and they really controlled the play, Calgary that is, uh, for most of the series. But Ottinger just stood on his head. He was just such a brick wall for that team and, you know, took it to overtime in game seven and, and just about won it for them. One, you know, that goal got past him, but you can't fault the goalie for, for that loss. He played so well the whole series. And I mean, we both predicted Calgary was going to win, but you know, if it wasn't for Ottinger and goal, like I think that series would have been over a lot sooner, but he just put up such an impressive performance. If the con Smythe was, was handed out today, I think he would be a front runner uh, for the first round. Of course, you know, the playoffs go on and other performances will stand out, but when it comes to round one, I think he was one of the players that really stood out from the rest. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's it's rare that you talk so much about a player on the losing team. Um, but when, regardless of you know the the sports channel, the podcast, whatever you're listening to out there, everyone is talking about Jake Ottinger. 
And when you look at the shot total, this is what one thing that really stood out to me in, in two ways. One, Calgary, other than Pittsburgh Penguins, Calgary had the most shots in their series at 287 shots on net. And he played all seven games, right? They only scored 15 times. That's an wow. abysmal shooting percentage of 5%. 5%. So he is solely the reason, in my opinion, that that series even got to seven. Like you said, we both picked Calgary to take it, but who would have thought seven games uh, that they would, that, you know, Dallas would last that full series, full tilt. On the reverse, and I know we're going to talk about our predictions for the second round. That number is a little scary if you are a Calgary Flames fan, a point or a 5% shooting percentage. Mm-hmm. You better hope they pick that up in round two. Uh, we'll talk about it a bit more, but um, yeah, Jake Ottinger. So, no, here's the question, though. Being a fantasy hockey podcast, next year, you're doing your mock drafts, you're planning out, you know, your selections. Do do you take Ottinger as your primary goalie on your fantasy team? Do you take him in the top five rounds as you would say like a Vasilevsky or a uh, Freddie Anderson? I do think he is an incredible goalie. Um, that being said, there is only one Vasilevsky. He's, he should be the number one each year. Um, but I think he put up a great performance. I just wouldn't trust, you know, wasting one of those first few round picks. You can get a lot of really, really solid, consistent scores in those first few rounds. And I wouldn't, you know, jump to get a Jake Ottinger as a goalie. I think Dallas in the off season is going to have uh, a bit of a crunch when it ter- comes to, to their con- our contracts. Um, they have, some really solid young players. They also have some, some older players that, you know, need. So I think there's going to be some turnover there. I don't know how good the overall roster will be going into next season. So I think, um, you know, this year he didn't start off as the starter in Dallas. Obviously he took over the net performed really well, but you know, you got to see a goalie do it for, for more than one season, like, like a Vasilevsky. Um, So we'll see how he handles being the starter from, from start to finish next year. And and then the year after that, if he performs well, then yeah, he's going to rocket to the top of that list. But I think for next year, I would either let other teams target him and, and take that risk. Or if I can get him, you know, five, six, seven, one of those rounds, I would feel pretty comfortable taking him there. Yeah, I agree. I'm always, I'm always nervous about picking a goalie that just had, you know, one outrageous year. Like you said, he started, I believe he was the fifth string goalie for the Dallas Stars at the start of the season. He started the season in the AHL. And now, you know, up until this past weekend, he was in the NHL playoffs, Stanley Cup playoffs, like quite the progression in one year. And there's too many goalies out there that, in my opinion, have had similar stories or now, you know, on, a, on your fantasy team, you might pick them as your third string goalie, right? Like a Carter Hart, for instance, you know, unbelievable year, couple years, and then really petered off. Now, 
the whole Flyers team has done so as well. But even another another goalie that immediately pops to mind is Jordan Bennington, right? They win the cup. He comes out of nowhere. He's this unbelievable goalie. The next year, you know, above average. But then since then, really spotty. And like you said, when you talk about proven goalies versus goalies who have just, you know, that crazy year, that breakout year, of all positions, goalies, goalie is the one position where you really want to see some consistency before you, you know, you take that guy as your guy going down the stretch of an entire fantasy hockey year. That being said, like you said, if you can, if you can pick him up as your second and man, if you, if he's available, you already have two goalies, you're looking for a third on your team. What a third string goalie to have. Like you would have quite the solid, uh, goalie trio if he's your number three absolutely you could give him number three take him any day I think he's put up an argument for being a number two but he was taken number 26 in the 2017 NHL draft. so there's a lot of teams that kind of shy away from taking goalies in the first round and the fact that he was chosen there you know I think he's been a star and you know this is his time to start shining I think there could be some bumps in the road uh, next season just because of the quality of team in front of him. But he is one of those top tier goalies. He was chosen in that first round. So I think in the long run, he will prove to be, you know, uh, one of the best goalies in the NHL, but I think it's going to need a season or two to get there. Yeah. So if you're talking keeper league, you know, you may want to take a flyer on him because like you said, in two, three, four years, he could be one of the best NHL goalies out there. And so, you know, you might want to take a fire on him and, and have him on your roster. Better to have him than not to have him. I think exactly. that's a safe bet. And like you mentioned, too, there's Dallas of all teams, of all playoff teams, has a lot of potential for a lot of roster changes in general. And so who knows what they're going to look like next year, like you mentioned. And so to, uh, to decide now that, you know, Jake Ottinger is your guy, far too early. And as that time comes, I know we'll do another episode uh, – you know, when the, your mock drafts and your, your fantasy drafts are coming up, we'll definitely have uh, – that'll be a topic, being a fantasy hockey podcast. And we'll talk more about him then, I'm sure. But uh, for now, just one outstanding performance. All right, man. That just leaves one more in the West. I think you had a good night Saturday night. Did you stay up for the whole game? I stayed up right until, until 1 a.m. or whenever that game finished. Um, it was a little worrisome. You, you know, LA had a good push in the third period, but Edmonton from, from the second period on really controlled the game. And that's what you want to see. You know, want to see your team control the play. And, and when it came to that big moment, game seven, um, LA really didn't have too many dangerous chances. There's always, you know, in the playoffs, there could be an odd balance. There could be, you know, a bad break, a goal goes in, and and then L.A. could have built momentum from there, but it didn't happen. Mike Smith, you know, stood his ground. He played well, got the shutout. Um, so I was really impressed. I, I was super pumped. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're going on to the Battle of Alberta, as we'll discuss in, in, in a few minutes. So it was uh, really entertaining, and I was feeling good Saturday. I bet you were. I bet you were a good night, far better night than I had. That's for sure. But um, Sorry, buddy. 
<laughs> uh, I heard today, interesting phrase, dynasty of losing. But we'll we'll get to the, the Maple Leafs in a, in a few minutes. I think from that series, the biggest thing, the biggest player, I think, that popped out in my head. I mean, you know, when you have a series featuring the two best players in the world, you know, obviously they're going to make, make the headlines. But I think if if you're looking at a player that you want on your team in the playoffs for now a few years in a row has proven himself the, the guy to shut down the top offense of the opposing team, Philip Deneau, right? Just absolutely, you know, handcuffed. It seemed like in some games, absolutely handcuffed. Uh, McDavid or Drysaddle, whoever he was against on the ice. Um, obviously, Edmonton, far too much firepower in the end, but uh, definite, definite shout out to Philip Deneau for his, his defensive performance uh, throughout that series. Yeah, I mean, like the one, the one player everyone was talking about in game six and seven was Connor McDavid. Like, talk about raising your game. Like, you play at the highest level. Everyone agrees, or, or mo- sorry, I should say a lot <laughs> of people agree that he's the best player in the world. But to take your game to another level, like everyone, uh, a couple of players after the game were just saying, you see it on his face, you see it in his eyes, that he was not going to lose those games. Game six and seven, he put the team on his back and he defensively, in terms of his offense, elevated his game. That game winner in game seven, like he was not gonna be denied like in a span of five seconds, got three shots off, put the game away with that second goal, and they move on to the second round. So it was just a, an incredible performance by Connor McDavid. Um, a big loss for them is Leon Dreisaitl uh, being injured. We'll see how um, that affects the team. He uh, looks like he's battling a, a pretty serious leg injury, but you know, as hockey players do, they fight through things. And uh, he battled through, but McDavid really picked up the slack. I think he played like 26 minutes and uh, it was just a, you know, a playoff performance for the ages. I'm getting the feeling you really enjoyed that game. (laughs) (laughs) I did. (laughs) No, and rightfully so. Rightfully so. Uh, Yeah. You look at that play, the game, or I guess that was, yeah, the game winner was the second goal. Second goal, right, where he did the three shots in five seconds. You watch that play, and the Kings, honestly, they just look like pylons. It looked like a practice session for McDavid, you know, just trying to skate around the net, you know, avoiding these pylons because they just they were just standing still. Absolutely incredible. Um, absolutely incredible. But like you said, we'll see what happens with dry settle, and we'll talk about that a bit more as we head in, as we uh, discuss the Battle of Alberta. But for now, Edmonton Oilers fans, you know, you're smiling with the uh, – much hockey joy, that's for sure. All right, so this week's power play topic. Uh, we are going to talk about this last week, but ran out of time. So this week, we want to make sure we touched on it. Uh, we're going to talk about the legendary career of one Patrick Marlowe. Just a phenomenal uh, career over the years. Drafted in 1997 by the San Jose Sharks. And when you look at his early career stats, you know, it's very 
solid numbers, a couple 40-point seasons, some 50-point seasons. But really, you see him take over in the 2005-2006 season. Now, just going back to his draft year, I wouldn't say it was the deepest draft of all of all time, but it definitely boasted some solid uh, NHL players that came from there. Uh, just looking at some of the names, just to give everyone an idea of just the, the caliber of players that he was drafted in. So Patrick Marler drafted second overall by the Sharks. Uh, third was Ole Jokinen. Fourth was Liberto Luongo. We had Eric Brewer. Um, Marion Hosa was drafted that year. Um, even had Scott Hannon, Brendan Morrow. These are some players that's you know played nearly or well over a thousand games in their career and have point totals in the hundreds, if not over the thousand point mark. But the real turnaround year, I think, for Patrick Marlowe in his career was as I mentioned, the 2005 2006 season. And largely due to the trade that San Jose made that year, uh, they traded the Boston Bruins for the one guy that was drafted ahead of Patrick Marlowe in 1997. And now longtime friend, Jumbo Joe. And so when you look back and you really see those, those two really gelled almost immediately in 2003, 2004, uh, before the lockout year, um, Patrick Marlowe finished with 57 points on the year. Well, then Jumbo Joe comes in and he finishes the 2005-2006 season with 86 points. And from there on out, you know, a few exceptions due to injury, um, but in the 80s and 70s, all the way till the 2013-2014 years, so nearly a decade of, of hockey dominance. And so just what a player he was. And I think when everyone talks about Patrick Marlowe, when they think about Patrick Marlowe, it was his consistency, his endurance, and his durability. Out of his entire career, I thought this was absolutely phenomenal. He played 11 seasons where he played all 82 games. 11 seasons, he played a full season. Three seasons, he played just 81. And then another uh, 80-game season. So the durability... We just don't see like see that kind of durability very often anymore, right? We think of uh, perhaps there may be more uh, player safety rules now as there than there were back then. But even back, you know, in the early two thousands, if a guy had a concussion, he had a concussion, he was out. He was out for a few games. Granted, you know, we have far more better designed and developed protocols, but a concussion was a concussion, and yet still we see that the real, the first year Patrick Marlowe missed some substantial time was not other than of course, the lockout season was the 2012, 2013 season where he only played 48 games up until that point for the first decade of his career, he played the least amount he played was 76 or sorry, 74 games in his rookie year. And so you look at some players today and some players today have never even hit the 74 game mark in a season. Right. And so uh, just the durability from the San Jose Sharks, we know uh, he came over to the Leafs um, and although did not win with the Leafs has, you know, is the Leafs tradition. Uh, we could really see when you see the players or hear the players talking about Patrick Marlowe, the wealth of uh, hockey IQ, wisdom and knowledge 
that he gave to the young team at the time. You know, Matthews, Marner, Nylander, just in some of their very early seasons uh, in the NHL. And you have this, just this legend of a vet come in, uh, you know, a grand total of nearly 1,800 games, almost 1,200 points. Um, from San Jose, or for Toronto, rather, he went back to San Jose for a time, um, went over to Pittsburgh for a, for a few games, and then uh, last year uh, re-signed with the uh, San Jose Sharks. And unfortunately, we were not graced with his presence on the ice this year, but just a, a phenomenal career um, from Patrick Marlowe. So I just want to give a, a shout out to him and respect for, for his contribution to a great game. So two last thoughts on Marlowe, I will say is number one, my dad will like this one. He was born in Swift Current, Saskatchewan. So my dad always says on winning teams, you need a good old Saskatchewan boy on the team <laughs> to put your team to that, to that Stanley Cup winning level. Winners, I tell you. Exactly. They make you strong. But the second point is it's one of those players that you think, I wish he won a cup. They got close in 2016. They lost against Pittsburgh in the Stanley Cup final, San Jose, that is, uh, with Patrick Marlowe on the team. So it's just one of those guys, you know, he ends his career without, you know, that that thing to his resume. But he's, you know, 16, they were close, but he never, never got to attain that. But such a solid career he had. Yeah, it's always sad. We think uh... – Think of his line mate, Jumbo Joe, right? Same situation. And um, Patrick Marlowe to me, though, is one of those guys that I don't think will ever truly walk away from the game. I could definitely see him being brought on as kind of a consultant or some sort of, you know, quote-unquote trainer for either the Sharks or some other franchise will pick him up because the amount of knowledge and experience he has. And I truly hope that one day – as either part of a front office or somewhere in an organization, uh, he does feel that championship uh, feeling someday because what a player, like you said, to never win. It's sad to see, but um, yeah, something I, I personally, I hope for, I hope he experiences it someday, even if he is in, you know, a coaching position or something analyst or something like that in as part of an organization, but phenomenal player. That's for sure. Great breakdown of his career. Our Eastern Conference. Uh, did Washington push Florida or what? You know, like they really showed some weakness. For the first time all series, the Panthers looked beatable. And I think that's kind of scary going into the second round when you are facing the defending, defending Stanley Cup champs. Right, like uh, there was nothing overly impressive about their game. They didn't really outdo Washington by any means. There, you know, Panthers scored twenty goals across the series. Washington scored nineteen. So it's not like they outscored Washington. They uh, didn't really outface off them. The biggest thing for Florida was the actual opposite, I think. And they better pick this up because if you go. 0 for 18 on the power play against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Then every time Tampa scores on the power play, you might as well give them two goal, two points because you cannot expect to win the Stanley Cup 
if your special teams are that horrible <laughs> across a series, right? We all know you need goaltending, you need defense, and you need your special teams to be awake and at least be present. 0 for 18, 0% across six games. Uh, that's just unacceptable, right? Uh, I don't know what you think, but uh, I think that goes that 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 goes without saying for sure. Yeah, I do think uh, some of the top guys were kind of lacking, you know, at the beginning, um, but mid of the series to the end, I think they started to get going. In the final game, um, Giroux got a goal, Barkov got a goal, and Carter Verhage. You know, he's really stood out as as a guy that not too many thought of. If you were in, you know, one of those hockey uh, playoff pools where you where you pick players and and see who's going to, you know, go the longest and get the most points, he's a guy that I think a lot of people probably left off or didn't think of. But the number of points he's been putting up really helped uh, Florida get past, and that's good. You know, guys that you know aren't the stars, you know, carrying the play because eventually the stars are going to take over in those big moments, you know, those high level players, you know, can kind of take their, you know, take that moment and shine. And so I think as this series went on, you know, some of those higher end players got going. I think they can feel pretty confident. They won the series for two. They've had a couple days here uh, to rest. And I think that bodes well for them. Uh, going against Tampa, who had a, a very difficult series against the Leafs. So we'll see what happens in round two. Absolutely. And yeah, like you mentioned, Carter Verhege. Like I do got to say, if you listen to the first first episode, he was one of my depth picks. I mean, I ended up going with Anton Lundell. You know, not regretting that, but, you know, I threw in his name, his name out there because uh, sneaky good, sneaky good. And uh, finished second overall so far uh, in points this play- these playoffs, only behind Connor McDavid. So you did yeah. mention him. So I did, I did. That's yeah, impressive. That's fame. Not gonna fame anything about my uh, bracket, but uh, I'll take take some some pride in that one. All right, he's, uh, the next one, the one I really don't want to talk about, but we must. Leafs and Lightning. Like you said, everyone expect this series of, of all the series, everyone expect this one to go to go the distance. And it did. And even as a Leafs fan, man, was it entertaining. Even the blow, blowout games, the fact that they kept flip-flopping in the blowouts, and then both teams really tightened the grip on each other defensively. And then you gotta, you know, you have three one-goal games in a row to close out the series. Um and in overtime, like, can you really get much better in a series? It, it kind of reminded me of back in an early Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner days when they faced off against the Washington Capitals, a series where Washington was heavily favored and Toronto pushed them seven games and every game was just exciting to watch. And so as a Leafs fan, I mean, it was, it was a great series, obviously it could have been better <laughs> with a different outcome, but uh, nothing to, you know, turn their nose up. And you hear a lot of ideas and rumors and speculation about what they're going to do. Um, Brennan Shanahan today came out and just confirmed that, you know, Dubas and Sheldon Keefe will 
you know, be in their same positions come next year. Will the roster be the same? Well, we'll have to see about that. Um, but not the type of feeling that Leafs fans have had over the past few years, right? Like to lose yeah. against the, the champs. You know, some people some people feel that you know to be the champ, you got to beat the champ, and they lost, but they lost by a single goal, right? So that that was one one heck of a series. Yeah, I really think if they faced anyone else in the East in that first round, they would have had really no problem getting through. Uh, but the you know Tampa two times gets back to back Stanley Cup champs. It was uh, it was tough to see. Um, but like you said, to the point you're alluding to, I think um, the coach, Sheldon Keefe, you know, said that in the handshake line, which is unique to hockey, after uh, the series is finished, the players shake hands and respect of one another and their performances. He really said you can sense the respect that Tampa had for the least for, for the effort that they put forth because, you know, one bounce, two bounces, it could have, it could have been a different series. Um, but what went wrong? You know, they, they were up three to two in the series going into game six. Is there a specific thing that, that you can pinpoint as, man, if they only would have did this, or if this would have been different, they, they would have came out on top. For me, I think there was, I mean, a lot of little things you can say all you want about calls made or uh, the refereeing or anything like that. You can say all you want about Tavares and Nylander being quiet for the first few games. The thing with the Leafs is, though, you don't need Tavares and Nylander to be loud every game when you have Matthews and Marner. As long as one pair is on, you know, you should you should fare just fine. So what actually went wrong? Man, I honestly, I could not point to one single thing that was like, oh, yeah, if Lisa had done this better, it would have been a totally different outcome. It really was down to the wire. Like you said, you know, a couple bounces different, a couple calls different. You know, there were missed calls on both sides. If I'm being honest, it's not all, you know, all the refs, you know, gave the gave the series to Tampa Bay. No, there were missed calls both sides. There were things that probably should not have been called on both sides. So I don't really know. I think if you play that series again, even if you play that game seven again, you know, it could have gone the other way. It really was 50-50, in my opinion. Um, just such a close series all the way across the board. Did you notice anything that really, that stood out to you that went wrong? No. Um I, I agree with you. It, it could really could have went either way. And I think that breeds confidence in the overall team. Um, I think, like you said, they believe in the coach, in the GM. They're going to be in the positions going into next next year. I think there's going to be some, some roster change. But, you know, Marners, Matthew, Tavares, these guys were involved. You know, they were leading, leading the charge for the Leafs. And I think that's something that was, you know, somewhat questioned in the past was, you know, these guys can't, can't do it, you know, but, but they performed and it was such a close series. Like you said, if it was done over, I think Toronto could have easily came out on top. Um, so yeah, I can't really pinpoint one thing is, is they needed a little bit more of this or that 
um, to, to take it to that next step. Cause I think they performed really well, but it was just against the Stanley cup champs that have been in that situation quite a few times and going against, you know, arguably the best goal in the world in Vasilevsky. He made some pretty incredible stops in a lot of those games and, you know, one gets by him and, and they win that game and, you know, they could have, could have been finished in six, but it didn't go that way. So again, unfortunately for the Leafs, let's hope for next year. Let's see what they do next year. Yeah. Leaf fans favorite phrase always next. All right. So then we have uh, the Carolina Boston series. That was the only thing. I mean, I was happy to see Edmonton win, you know, I was happy for my friends such as yourself, my buddies that you know, are Edmonton fans, but if there was one thing that made me happy Saturday night, it was Boston being bounced. And I mean, it took seven, which is a lot longer than people thought. You can't obviously, you know, same thing with the Pittsburgh series, you know, those old vets, uh, Marchand and, and Bergeron, they found their legs and they found their swagger and they showed up in the second half of that series. Um, Pasternak as well had some outstanding plays. Um, but I think in that one, simply the better team won fair and square at the end of the day, uh, one against one of them, you know, one of the most defensive teams, I think in the East, at least in the Carolina hurricanes. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, they kind of did what Boston has done to so many others. They got the lead and they just held on. They, they jammed up the middle and Boston couldn't really get anything going at that point. Even the mad scramble there in the last few seconds, there was just so many bodies that, you know, that puck making it all the way to the goaltender was next to impossible. And we've seen Boston do that so many times. So, you know, it was kind of nice to see uh, someone do it to them uh, in return after after so many years of, of stellar playoff performances by the Boston Bruins. Yeah, you got to give it to the Hurricanes, like you said. I think it comes down to their depth. I think we talked about that at the beginning of the series. Um, but that being said, you look at game five, Boston had all the momentum. They had some pretty decisive victories. Um, Boston's big guns came to play. Bergeron was playing amazing. He really led his team to get back into the series. But winning game five, you know, 5-1 against the Bruins, that kind of reset the series. That put them ahead. And, you know, Boston came out with a, a pretty decent effort uh, the next game to tie it up. But like you said, I think ultimately uh, the best team won, and that was without their top goalie. So Frederick Anderson is still out. We don't know if he's going to be back for round two, but they just have – a lot of different solid pieces throughout their lineup that, you know, they were getting contributions from, you know, from every line. And, you know, that's what you want to see in the playoffs. That's what helps propel your team uh, to the next round. Yeah, that's right. Cause even if, even if you don't get the depth scoring, like we've seen in other, some of the other teams that we've already talked about, as long as each line does their job, mm -hmm. then you have a good chance of winning. And yeah. I think that's what we saw with the Carolina Eric. Nothing flashy, you know, eight goal games, you know, but just solid hockey. Each line did their job and they came out on top. You know, they stuck to the game plan and that's what uh, won it for them. 
finally we have the Rangers and Penguins. I mean, our last episode, I was looking real pretty. I was looking like a genius in that last episode. And then Shesterkin like woke up all of a sudden, like he had taken a nap for two, for two, three games. All of a sudden woke up, Rangers got their legs. It's a Benajab, Panarin. And uh, ultimately, I think what one thing everyone's talking about in that series, obviously, the Crosby injury, um, a definite turning point. And you see that and that whole shift, like everyone, you, everyone keeps seeing that the last hit that really sent him, sent him out. But really that whole shift, he kept, he was brutalized. And that's not saying, you know, the Rangers are being dirty. It's just the way the plays developed. I think he had three, he took three solid hits and that last one just kind of a little bit more to the head and took him out. Um, but Rangers capitalized. That's part of playoffs, right? In any sport is injuries when you have to get guys to step up. And it's not that Pittsburgh doesn't have guys who can't step up, but um, they just they just couldn't take it take it all the way. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, that Crosby injury, they had a few injuries in, uh, in Pittsburgh, but um, I think the biggest thing was something that we talked about going in. Shesterkin outplayed Pittsburgh's goalies. That being said, no offense to third stringer in Pittsburgh, Louis but Louis. Louis Deming is not uh, an everyday NHL goalie. He, uh, you know, you got to give it to, to Pittsburgh. They stayed in, and um, you know he did he did his best, but De Smith. You know their uh, their starter. Who who is their main starter that went out? Uh, Tristan Jari, right? Yeah, Tristan Jari. So you know these guys being in it from the beginning, I think, could have really changed the series. But you go to your third string goalie, and there's a reason why they're not a backup or a starter. They perform well in spot starts, but the pressure of the playoffs, you know, do or die, I think, was maybe. A bit too much to handle for him, but you got to give it to, you know, those top players in Pittsburgh. They, they came to perform and they played really well. You look at, you know, Rust, Malkin, Crosby, Batang, like they Gensel. played. Yeah. Gensel, of course, Man. Everyone, everyone forgets about that guy, but he just <laughs> plays so hard and plays so good. But yeah, it was, uh, it was a series that was really close, but yeah, those few, Injuries, I think um, New York took advantage of, and they ultimately came out number one going on to the second round, but it was close. Yeah, it's interesting too, right? That's two series that I can think of off the top of my head here that made goalie changes on their final game, right? Minnesota went to Cam Talbot, and Jari was available for game seven, so Pittsburgh went over to him. Was that the smart move coming off an injury? Who knows, right? Deming, although to to your point, you know, not a starting goalie in the NHL, a third stringer on a team, you know, maybe a second, maybe a backup on any other NHL team, but had already played, was warmed up, was familiar, knew what he was doing, knew the routine. Do you throw in, although a better goalie, a goalie who is clearly cold, hasn't played for a while? I don't know, but we know the results of these two series and they both end up in losses. So 
we'll see if that is a trend that continues throughout the rest of this playoffs. If we see more, more injuries to some of the starting goalies. All right. So that wraps up uh, the wrap up for round one. And I think, uh, what was your record there, Eric? Yeah. I think you had four for four in the West three for four in the East for a total of seven of eight. Is that correct? I believe so. Yes. That is fantastic. So as mentioned earlier, we will now only be listening to Eric's predictions for the rest of the playoffs. Cause I had a pretty horrible five for eight, three out of four in the West, two, four out of the East. Um, what do they say? A, blo- a broken clock is right twice a day. So <laughs> we'll see if it continues moving on. Well, you know what? I was going to say, I was going to say that although I only had five for eight in the first round, all of my winners in at least the, uh, the West are all still there. So I can, I can make up ground here in the, in, in round two, hopefully. <laughs> uh, so before we move on to our predictions for round two, I thought we'd just talk about some of the uh, top scorers, top performers uh, in round one. We've already mentioned some. Some are out. Uh, Connor McDavid, 14 points. Carter for Hagee, 12. Uh, Zabinajab, 11. So we'll see where those guys end up as they continue on. One that stands out to me, um, just looking at this list, Kale McCarr, 10 points in four games. So he's in the top five and, you know, he wasn't in a series that went seven games. They were done in four. So we'll see what that rest does for Colorado. Sometimes it can be a good thing. Guys can heal heal from injuries or they've been sitting for over a week and we'll see if they can get going again for, for the beginning of round two. But he's one guy that I look at that list and I'm like, wow, four games and he's got three goals and seven assists yeah like uh well there's always that controversy right rest rest over rust which one is uh which one's worse which one's better um but yeah four games 10 points i mean it's nice to see adam fox there too with 10 points but he played seven games he played three more games now still seven points for a defenseman or sorry 10 points for a defenseman in seven games still impressive work but yeah kale mccarr i mean Let's just, you know, if we go on a limb here and say Calgary outs Edmonton, Kill McCarr has a decent shot at winning the scoring race in the playoffs as a defenseman. Like, I, like when's the last time you see something like that? Right? Like, I've heard a lot of lately, I've heard a lot of comparing Kill McCarr to Bobby Orr. Now, obviously, neither of us ever watched Bobby Orr play. Unfortunately, had a very relatively short season or short short career, only twelve seasons, uh, because of injuries and just uh, the, you know the injury bug bit him hard. But you know, I always remember my dad talking about Bobby Orr playing, and it just sounds so much like Camel Carr when you watch him on the ice. Just absolutely polarizing, and as a defenseman, just in, just incredible. Yep, it's. Uh... A comparison that, you know, as his career goes on and he keeps up that level, you know, it's hard to compare eras, but he's really performing at a high level. Like you look at Nathan McKinnon, you know, one of the top 10 players in the league, he had six points. So pretty good, but 
you know, the fact that the, the defense on Colorado is leading the way, um, I think really bodes well for them. And I think despite the rest, they're going to be ready and they're just going to have fun and, and they'll have, you know, no problem continuing that, those top performances. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I think it's a good point too to mention is that it's not Camel Carr as a defenseman handing off the puck to superstar Nathan McKinnon or Rantanen or, you know, any of those forwards that are of elite status he was setting them up like, or rather he was scoring the goals. He was taking the passes from them. And then not only that, but he, you know, was probably the sole reason why Devon Taves had such a good first round, his line mate there on defense. Like Kale McCarr is just, honestly, I can't say enough about the guy. He's just so such a complete player at such a young age that we have some exciting hockey to watch. You know, like we already talked about uh, Adam Fox and, you know, there's some other, Young defenseman coming up that we're excited to see, but to Kale McCarr, definitely the guy to beat uh, on, on defense and, and other areas of the ice as well. Just oozing with confidence. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that takes us to our five-minute major where we discuss some news around the league. And this week, we thought we would discuss nothing else other than the draft lottery. Something we all look forward to. I know you Montreal Canadiens fans out there looking forward to getting the number one pick in Montreal on July 7th. I know I'll be tuning in if I can. Um, it's rare, you know, that a, a team gets to host the lottery or host the draft rather and gets the number one pick. I think it's always exciting to see. Um, so I'm sure as hockey fans, you know, you guys have gone out and found the, uh, the first day uh, schedule, the top 16 picks. A few notable things to mention, as we said, the top three, Montreal, New Jersey gets the second pick, Coyotes get the third, Kraken and the Flyers fourth and fifth. Sixth, the Columbus Blue Jackets, and that was uh, via the Chicago Blackhawks and the Seth jones trade and then the other notable one well one of the other notable picks is of course the buffalo Sabers get a second pick in the top 16 um from the vegas golden knights in the jack eichel trade so that is the draft list the draft order for round one the edmonton oilers come in at the 20th pick overall uh, the Leafs get the 25th. And so, Eric, do you want to uh, line up some of the prospects of, uh, you know, some of the special talent coming into the league uh, for next year? Yeah, so I'll cover a couple of the North American skaters. Um, number one, we have Shane Wright, who played in the OHL. 58 games, he had 84 points. Um, he's being compared to a play style similar to Patrice Bergeron. He has a great shot, a high hockey sense. So he's the consensus number one pick going into the draft. Number two, we have Logan Cooley, who played in the National Development Program in the States. 43 games, he had 64 points. He's being compared to someone like Mitch Marner, 
who has uh, playmaking and high hockey IQ. The third uh, North American rated skater is Matt Savoy playing in the WHL. In 61 games, he produced 32 goals and 52 assists. Known for his speed and his deceptive instincts being compared to the likes of Matthew Barzell. Thanks for that, Eric. So, yeah, so Montreal Canadiens, I know, are super excited, the fans, to get Shane Wright. Six foot one, uh, about 200 pounds, uh, center. And I think after, especially losing Kakan Yemi, I think uh, the Habs fans will be excited to get another potentially um, stud of a player in Shane Wright uh, with the first overall pick. Logan Cooley is an interesting guy. Um, slightly smaller when you look at some of the other uh, high-end players we got a lot of uh, six ones six three couple six fours logan cooley comes in at 510 uh, about 175 pounds but i think for the new jersey devils that's the question i've heard a lot kind of wondering about when you look at uh, the devils and their centers already do you need another one do you drop down for say a winger or someone on defense um but at any rate, whether he drops the Coyotes or even lower, if he goes to the Kraken or the Flyers, uh, I think any any of these teams would be more than happy to pick up um, such a, a, a stellar centerman in Logan Cooley for sure. That's yeah, a bit of a debate. And do you pick the best player available? Or if you're kind of stockpiling in a certain position, do you try to bolster up another position such as defense or goaltending. So it'll be interesting to see what some of these teams do. Yeah, always is, right? Like you mentioned, it's always about uh, do you pick the best player available or the best player for your team. We see that out of the top uh, five, as per usual, um, all forwards. Um, the first defenseman, you know, could go in the top 10. Um, but from what I've been hearing from – you know, professional hockey analysts, uh, is that really anyone, any player in the top 25, um, you get any one of these guys and you are getting a solid piece to your team. Maybe not this year, but in a two years or in three years. And that is not a, uh, you know, we're not sh throwing shade at guys like Shane Wright or Logan Cooley and Matthew Savoy or any of the others. There's, um, uh, some Finnish players that are coming, some Czech, some from Russia that are just uh, some outstanding talent. But it really just speaks to the depth of this NHL draft. And so, uh, you know, we are talking about Patrick Marlowe earlier in, in his draft year. Uh, it'll be interesting, interesting to see uh, where these guys end up in 5, 10, 20 years into their career. Uh, just to see, you know, the kind of type of impact and players these guys turn out to be. Um, in the league, but uh, July 7th, uh, uh, always an exciting day. And July 8th, we'll have the rest of the uh, rest of the rounds of the draft, but tune in. Don't forget about it. Uh, Bell center in Montreal, uh, the NHL entry draft. I always find the entry draft is kind of the uh, unofficial start to the new year of the NHL season, right? You have, Free, play, free agent signings, and then you have the draft. 
and uh, just kind of gets your hockey juices going as you prepare for your uh, fantasy draft, especially seeing what kind of rookies you might want to pick up on. Yeah, it's nice to see in the summer. Some of them, um, you know, especially if they have a high run pick, um, how your team improves. And the draft is the beginning of that. You have the free agency uh, shortly after. So, um, yeah, even after the playoffs, there's some exciting news different times throughout the summer for hockey fans. All right, so let's move on to our predictions for round two. I think uh, I think we're ready for this. So who are we facing here? Let's start off in the West. We have Colorado versus the St. Louis Blues. I'm going with Colorado on this one. Yourself? Yep, 100%. Yeah. Well, uh, I wouldn't say 100%. I think uh, I think the Blues have a very solid team. We've seen that in round one, but I mean, how can you go against Colorado? I think they're sitting there waiting, and they'll uh, they'll be ready. I, I can see that game or that series going, you know, six or seven. But Colorado, I think, has got to be the team to go for there. Yeah, I'm calling Colorado in six on that one. I think you're you're right. Um... The second round is always the Achilles heel for Colorado, but this year they're not facing Vegas. So uh, I think they'll be able to push through. Um, but yeah, I'm saying Colorado in six. All right. Probably the most anticipated series as the, even the playoff picture was wrap was shaping up the last 10, 15, 20 games of the regular season. This was a matchup. Everyone was hoping was going to happen at some point. And so we get it in round two, the battle, battle of Alberta. And I mean, I'm just looking at you now through Zoom here and you're all smiles. And I mean, you're happy to see them take out the Kings. But this must be as a as a fan of one of the Alberta teams, just like dream come true. Oh, yeah, it's uh, this is what dreams are made of. No, um, <laughs> just excited for this series, like the provincial rivals. You can just, uh, both of the crowds, I mean, Canadian markets are known to have great fan bases, but both of the crowds are just going to be jacked for each game. It's going to be loud. It's going to be a lot of energy in the buildings. I think as the series goes on, I don't think it's going to be a short series. And I think we could see a lot of different scrums. You have Kachuk, you have Evander Kane, you have a lot of other players that are going to be uh, pushed into the fight and it's going to be a super entertaining series. Um, I do think Edmonton's going to come out on top. I got to stay with these guys. They've got the best player in the world. Calgary is a, a, a very solid team. Like we said, they got uh, pushed to the brink by a solid goaltender we'll see if they can uh, continue to play a complete game and beat Edmonton for four games. But regardless, it's going to be such an entertaining series. Oh, for sure. And I think I'm, I, I agree seven games and at seven, I think it can go either way, but um, I'm going to take Calgary in seven, but excellent series. It's, it's going to be an absolutely phenomenal series. I'm very curious 
to hear what will be the deciding factor in the series. I am a diehard Oilers fan, but why do you think the Flames are going to go and beat the Oilers and stuff? I'll give you one name. Jacob Markstrom. I think Mike Smith is just simply too unreliable. And regularly, everyone knows he lets the his emotions get the best of him. And a series that is going to be full of emotion. I mean, these two teams bring out the best of each other every time. Every time they play each other, it's always fireworks. It's always the game to watch. But I think at the end of the, end of the day, I think Markstrom is just going to be, you know, just the difference maker. Kind of like Vasilevsky and Campbell um, in the Leafs Lightning series is where Mike Smith is going to have to hope he pr- hope he plays at least as good as Jacob Markstrom. And if he doesn't, uh, I think Edmonton's in real trouble there. Um, for me, that's the deciding factor. Um, that being said, as we already kind of touched on earlier, if Calgary does not pick up their shooting percentage from 5%, I mean, Edmonton had uh, had nearly an 11% shooting percentage. Colorado was nearly 12. And so if Calgary wants to go the distance here in these playoffs, they definitely have to pick that up. And thankfully, they're against not Jake Ottinger anymore. They are now against Mike Smith. And I think at the end of the day, he's kind of that X factor of what's going to happen with him. And so that's why I give Markstrom the edge in that series and – why I think in seven, uh, Calgary will take it. All right. Good to hear. <laughs> I, the, the, the one point I will say is Calgary, regardless of the goal you're against, should have that killer instinct. Like they did make it to seven, which was surprising to many. They came out with a win, but I think the Oilers, a little biased, but have developed a killer instinct. Obviously, their series also went to seven, but I think as a whole, their players want it. Like they're going to be up and ready for this battle of Alberta. But I just think you see Connor McDavid, like when a player is playing at that level, like how do you stop them? Deneau? Kopitar, you know, the, some of the best shutdown players in the game could not stop him. That being said, Calgary has a lot more experienced defensive core than LA had. So, Especially yeah. Especially Exactly. So you beat the forward or the forwards that are forechecking. Well, now you're, you're going up against Anderson, some, some really solid Hannafin solid players um, that defend really well. So that's going to be an extra layer to Calgary's defense. That is going to be difficult for Edmonton to get past, but I think Edmonton pulls through and it's going to be a very entertaining series, very close, but Edmonton with that X factor of McDavid is going to pull past Calgary. All right. We heard it here first on what the H all right, so the Eastern Conference, we have another battle, the Battle of Florida. Panthers versus the Lightning. 
And I think I'm going to take the Lightning in six on this one. I think Vasilevsky will not have a under 900 save percentage. I think he's going to come back. Um, but I think it'll still be a battle, especially if point is out long-term. But we have seen Kucherov put them on their back. Stamkos, 100-point season. Tampa's definitely out of it because points hurt. Um, how long they can put up a fight in the playoffs, I think it'll be dependent on, on his injury. But uh, just based on how they played, I think I'm going to hand it to the Lightning in six. How about you? I'm going to go the Panthers in seven. I do see the point that you make, um, point being out. A name I'm sure you're not going to want to hear is Nick Paul. They have Tampa just has guys that step up, and it's like the next man up mentality. You know, they've dealt with, you know, some serious injuries in the past, but they just have these, you know, crop of players that, you know, can elevate their game and, you know, be that standout performer. And, and you just need to do it four times in a series, you know, be the better team and, and capitalize on your chances. And so I, th- I think it's going to be very close. It's going to go to seven, but I've jumped on the Florida bandwagon in the East. And I think um, the seven game series against the Leafs, you know, it's, it's difficult to recover. Like the Leafs really pushed them and uh, you know, Florida being done at six, they're going to be ready and uh, they'll, they'll take it in seven. All right. Uh, and last but not least, Carolina versus New York. And um, I don't think New York will be able to put up as much as a fight as they could against Pittsburgh. Carolina is far deeper. Um, so I'm going, I'm going to go Carolina in um, – I'll do Carolina in six. What do you think? Right. I'm going to go Carolina in five. I think New York really performed at their highest level. Um, and – there was questions about their stars not being involved enough. I just think Carolina has an overall better team. Do we see Anderson come back into the series? He is a game changer when it comes to the back end. So if that does happen, um, I think it's going to be over pretty fast. Obviously, New York's not going to roll over and, and hand the series over. But like you said, I'm with you. It's going to be a, a quicker series and I think – Call, or Carolina is definitely the favorite. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was, that's what I was hesitant on was the games five or six. I don't see that going to seven, but um, this is hockey, and you never know playoff hockey. All right, so that's uh, handles the round two preview, and so we'll see uh, what kind of records we can boast when round two wraps up. But uh, we'll come back uh, before the end of round two, obviously with a. Uh, update on how that how that round is going next week and we'll see how our picks are looking uh come next week podcast recording time all right now we've made it to uh what has quickly risen to my personal favorite segment of your favorite fantasy hockey podcast what the h 
a segment that we have uh, and dearly named Eric's Thoughts. Eric, take it away. All right. So for tonight, I thought we're so invested in hockey. Let's stick to that topic. So a good question for you, Corey. Would you rather live in a hockey market, Arizona, where tickets are more affordable because the fan base isn't as rabid as, let's say, a market like Toronto or Edmonton? But the result of this is being able to afford to go to more games. Or would you rather live in a market like Toronto or Edmonton that have solid teams, but the prices of tickets can be pretty high? So the reason why I came up with this for today is I was looking on StubHub. We're not sponsored by StubHub. (laughs) Yet. If... If... Um, you were to go to a Florida versus Tampa Bay game, you were able to get some pretty great seats for under a hundred dollars, as low as fifty dollars. <laughs> That's not even fair. <laughs> I looked up the game in Edmonton on Wednesday night. I couldn't find a ticket lower than six hundred dollars <laughs> for the three hundred level. So which market would you want to be in? Okay. I, to answer that, I got to ask one question. Um, do you have to be a fan of the market you live in? Like if, if it was Arizona, if I lived in Scottsdale, would I actually have to be an Arizona Cowboys fan or could I continue to be a Leafs fan but live in Arizona? That is a, a good aside that I did not think of. But let's say you have to be a fan of the home team. You, you have to be a fan of the home team, and I lived in Arizona. Um, as a general sports fan, it would be nice that it was cheaper. But I can't say I'd be a hockey fan. I think at that point you might pick up on uh, Diamondbacks or the Suns. You know, Suns had a had a great run in the NBA playoffs. Yeah, I think uh, I think teams like that, sports like that, would definitely suck up a lot of the. Um, monetary juices of the uh, sports fan in that in those areas now if i could be a fan of whatever team but live in a certain area then i would definitely pick uh living in arizona but being a Leafs fan um and nothing to do with being a Leafs fan currently but just being able to go to the games that are so cheap mm-hmm. um everyone knows Leafs tickets regular season tickets are just outrageous I couldn't imagine. I didn't even. I didn't even look. I didn't even look at the at the playoff tickets. What their prices would be because, just I'm sure it was just some outrageous number. Um, so I think I would take if I had to if I could be a fan of anyone. I would yeah for sure live in a small market, uh, go to cheap games because then you could pick and choose right. You could go see the teams you want. You see Sid the Kid. You could go see Connor McDavid, uh, Alex Ovechkin, Austin Matthews. Uh, even Kirill Kaprizov, Kirill the Thrill, right? You can go and take a look at these guys, Colorado, Kale McCarr, um, for the cheap, right? Where if you live in a big market like the Leafs or Edmonton, right? if you go to a game, you're really picking and choosing what game you go to between, you know, that dollar amount 
because they obviously, as we all know, they fluctuate depending on the opponent versus the quality of game. You can go Leafs game for real cheap when they're playing the Arizona Coyotes, but if they're playing the Ottawa Senators, you know, a provincial battle, or they're playing the Edmonton Oilers or Pittsburgh, it's far more expensive. But that's a tough question. And, I, yeah, that's good. What, what kind of uh, answer did you come up with? Your, I like your choice. I agree with you. Like, you know, when, when certain teams come to Toronto, you have to decide, okay, do I want to, you know, go to this game because it's a bit more affordable, but then I'm going to watch Philadelphia or do I want to like wait until, you know, Pittsburgh's here or the Oilers are here and see Sidney Crosby or see McDavid. The other choice you have to make is, okay, am I okay setting up, you know, where I need binoculars to see what's going on or, <laughs> Do you, uh, do you put out the extra cash and, and sit down low? So unfortunately being in a, in a, a large hockey market like Toronto or, or Edmonton, um, there's a lot of people that don't get to experience, you know, that in-game um, being in the crowd and, and feeling the energy in the building because the prices are high. That being said, you know, you want to be in that, that where everyone in, in the area, your buddies are into it, you know, people at work are talking about hockey. I do enjoy that being in Toronto, you know, you just chat with ones walking down the street and, you know, people are talking about the Leafs and, and talking about these different teams. So um, I think it would be great to live in a, a market where you can afford to, like you said, pick and choose the games, but, you know, the energy around the city, the buzz that it creates when your team is doing well, I think is uh, next to none. So I, I would be the same as you. I, I pick the, the large market as opposed to, you know, being in Arizona cheering for the, the Coyotes. The Coyotes, yeah. A little rough. <laughs> yeah, I was able to get to the, um, the, the final game of the season for the Leafs against the Boston Bruins, which they won. And like you said, like on our way back, we're on the subway, me and a buddy of mine, and, uh, you know, people are calling out, Oh, what was the score? Do we win? You know, and it's just that vibe that even people that didn't even go to the game, they knew a game happened and everyone wants to know the result or, yeah, you go to some of these places and I mean, most of the people there don't even know what ice looks like. So. Exactly. Or like you think of like, okay, if we were in, in Tampa right now or Florida, I guess, um, where the Panthers play, we could decide, okay, do we want to go to a movie or do we want to go see a Stanley Cup playoff game? Like, that is pretty cool to be able to, you know, have yeah. affordable prices like that. Let's get a movie or, or playoff game. I would 100% choose a playoff game. But Yeah. No, I think that's the other thing, too, is, like, you pick Arizona. You know, I see why you, you picked Arizona for the question. But I think, yeah, it, it does depend on where you live. Uh, the Panthers played just outside of Miami. I mean, so to live in Miami, to be able to go to a playoff game, and then, you know, you go out with your buddies after, like, that's pretty awesome. And you're in Miami, hit the beach the next day, like, something to be said about that. But um, there's, there is, of course, a difference being in a Canadian city. All the Canadian markets are just absolutely bonkers when they're, you know, their team's up, team scores, and being in the crowd, there's nothing quite like it, having thousands of people jump up and cheer all at the same time well thanks for that question eric that was a good one i appreciate it keep them coming man the more outrageous the better well, I have a couple of good ones. 
couple outrageous ones for next week. That's fantastic. All right, so that's it for us today. Uh, that wraps up uh, episode three of your favorite fantasy hockey podcast, What the H. Uh, thanks, Eric, for your thoughts there. Not only your your uh, intriguing questions, as always, but your valued uh, comments on the series coming up and what is wrapped up. And I'll say I've said it once. I'll say it again. We are only listening to your predictions for the rest of the playoffs based on how our first round predictions went. Uh, so, yeah, so that wraps up. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yes, thank you for listening. We appreciate uh you supporting us here. We're having a lot of fun doing it and it's uh, a work in progress, but thank you for joining us and we'll see you guys next week for episode four. Thanks for listening guys and enjoy round two of the Stanley cup playoffs. You're listening to what the H a fantasy hockey podcast.